This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the awesome Online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. My guests today are Amanda Fields, Volunteer Services Coordinator with Seasons Hospice and Palliative Care, Alexander McPherson, PharmD, and Jamie Glidewell, Social Worker with MedStar Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C., our guest today will be talking about interesting opportunities for volunteers in hospice and palliative care. I moderated this session, which originally was a webinar for the Hospice and Palliative Care Network of Maryland. Amanda will speak about how we partnered together at our School of Pharmacy to have pharmacy students serve as volunteers. And then Dr. Alex McPherson and Jamie Glidewell will talk about the use of master's students and how they served as volunteers at Washington Hospital Center. So, ladies, take it away. Um, so we're pretty excited to um, bring this presentation to you. I'm here just for comic relief and moderating. Uh, Alex and Jamie and Amanda will be doing all the heavy lifting, but it's titled, I'd like to volunteer for that. So we're looking at creative ways to recruit and deploy volunteers in hospice and palliative care. Here's your continuing education information. And Kat already kindly introduced everyone, so no one has anything to disclose. So just by way of introduction, these are our learning objectives to talk about novel avenues for recruiting volunteers, something we're always interested in. I know in hospice I hear this constantly that, you know, Medicare requires so many visits be made by volunteers, so it's so important that we explore every avenue to recruit um, new volunteers. And I think increasingly I'm hearing across the country about using volunteers inpatient in palliative care. So it'll be pretty exciting to hear about that from the MedStar folks. We'll talk about training requirements for these volunteers, both in hospice and palliative care, and some of the opportunities and roles and responsibilities for these people. So I'd like to set the stage with simply one slide for the hospice volunteering component, and then I'll turn it over to Amanda. Uh, this started with uh, my school. So as you know, I'm a professor at the School of Pharmacy, and we teach a course called Palliative Care Imperative. This is a hybrid course. It's primarily online, but the students do meet four times during the semester in person in the evening. Uh, we cover a variety of topics. We do pain and symptom management. We do grief and bereavement and cultural issues of dying and so forth. So students can take this course for two credits, but if they choose to, they can take it for three credits, and the additional credit is training and serving as a volunteer for Seasons Hospice and Palliative Care. And I can tell you it was extremely popular. Um, I would like to think it's because I do such an awesome job teaching about hospice and palliative care that they all wanted to jump on board, but I suspect it's more, it looks pretty darn cool when you go to apply for a residency or a job to say, I was volunteering with dying people, so I'm sure that was probably the bigger draw. But nonetheless, we did have a, a good cohort of students who were very interested in doing this. So after their training, they had to provide a minimum of 10 hours of service. And the course description is listed there for you as well. So with that, I am going to turn it over to Amanda, who will take it from here. Amanda. Hi, thank you. Um, so I'm the volunteer coordinator for Seasons in Hospice and Palliative Care, um, and I've been in this role for five and a half years. And we're just going to discuss the co collaboration that we had with the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. So just a little bit of background for um, about Seasons Hospice. So our mission is honoring life, offering hope. And some of our vision statements are recognize that individuals and families are the true experts in their own care, 
support our staff so they can put our patients and families first, find creative solutions which add quality to life, strive for excellence beyond accepted standards, and increase the community's awareness of hospice as part of the continuum of care. So this collaboration kind of helps with uh, both our mission and vision. Federal regulations, which probably most of you are already familiar with, but it's important to kind of go over those again. Uh, so Medicare certified hospices are required to document and maintain a volunteer core sufficient to provide administrative or direct patient care in an amount that at minimum equals 5% of the total patient care hours of all paid hospice employees and contract staff. So what that really means is that our volunteer hours need to equal 5% of our clinical hours, uh, which just to kind of put that in perspective, for March, our clinical hours were right around 7,000, and that means that our volunteer hours had to be at least 350 hours, and obviously everyone's trying to exceed that goal, um, which can be difficult at times. So also, <clears throat> excuse me, volunteers are central members of our hospice interdisciplinary team. You know, patients talk to volunteers um, and tell them things that maybe they're not telling other staff members. Um, so they're really important uh, members of the team. Of course, before anyone can volunteer with hospice, they need to go through quite a bit of training. So we require a two TB test, flu shot, background check, paperwork, which includes our application packet, references, job descriptions, policy sign-off, waivers, kind of a hefty packet, as you can imagine. Um, we also do nine uh, self-study video modules, so the students had to watch those kind of when they had time to. Um, and then there was one additional module that was watched as a group uh, because it documented a patient dying. So we watched that as a group so that we could process that together as the group. And that was done during our six hours of group training. Uh, and the virtual classroom training was after that. So we tried, we worked with Dr. McPherson and Dr. Walker to streamline this process. As you can imagine, it's quite the undertaking uh, for students who are already uh, pretty involved. Uh, so we condensed the paperwork and it was completed online and condensed the virtual classroom uh, into our six-hour group training. And within that group training, we really talked about the dying process, tried to get the students um, and others as comfortable as you really can with the dying process and with visiting uh, hospice patients. After all of that is completed, um, we do bedside training. That's taking uh, the students out. Typically, it was to one of our inpatient centers. We completed an orientation of the inpatient center and then sat with them through their first couple patient visits there. So in total, we had 20 students complete the orientation and agreed to the 10 volunteer hours. So our volunteers are able to volunteer in general at patient homes, nursing facilities, and inpatient centers. We thought that the pharmacy students, it would make the best fit to focus on the inpatient centers and then also allow them to uh, go to nursing facilities if that made sense. So our inpatient centers are located at 
Sinai Hospital, Northwest Hospital, and Franklin Square Hospital. This was really ideal because of the flexible hours, pretty convenient locations, as most of the students are living around Baltimore or at least coming to Baltimore for classes and things like that. They got the chance to interact with a variety of patients at our inpatient centers. As we have patients coming in for symptom management there, so, you know, there's patients that are able to really talk and interact, and it would be like you and I talking. Um, and then there's patients that have a lot of confusion but still are interactive, uh, all the way down to patients who are really unresponsive. And so there is quite the variety of patients that they could interact with. And this was also appropriate due to the relatively short time of student commitment so that um, our patients on the units are are there also for a relatively short time. So, you know, it's going in and visiting with a different patient potentially every visit. And sometimes the students were able to visit with the same patient multiple times and kind of build that rapport up. There were a few students who lived um, outside of Baltimore. It was kind of inconvenient uh, for them to come to the inpatient centers. And that worked out quite well. Um, there's a little bit less flexibility with hours at nursing facilities. But the locations were incredibly more convenient for those students. Um, in particular, we had a student who lived in Rockville area, and it was a perfect match for a patient that lived or that was at a facility uh, maybe 10 minutes from where the student lived. So that was a really convenient location. And the same with uh, one of the students who lived around the District Heights area, um, and we assigned her two patients at um, nursing facilities in that area. Um, they were assigned to specific patients, so that can get a little more complicated than at the inpatient centers where, it's, as you go, you kind of pick which patient you want to visit. So there are lots of ways that pharmacy students can volunteer, what they can do with the patients. First, I just want to touch on what's not um, required or allowed for any of our volunteers, which is really most of the hands-on care. They're not providing um, any kind of feeding or medication or anything like that. Um, but the things that they can do are chat with patients. Uh, as I said, a lot of the patients want to chit-chat. Um, even if the patients have a lot of confusion, they a lot of times can still remember their childhood and really enjoy uh, chatting about where they grew up and, and all of that. Many of our students played games um, with the patients if they were able to. Also, we uh, had craft projects on the units so that um, a couple of the students, it was during the fall time frame for the most part, and so I brought in some like leaf-making crafts and turkey crafts. And so some of the students actually constructed crafts with the patients, or even if the patients were not able to help with the construction, uh, the volunteers did it and kind of talked about it as they went through and then hung it in the rooms to kind of spruce up the rooms a little bit. They could watch TV with the patients, which was great, right? Having kind of a companion sit there, watch TV, kind of chat about what's going on in the show or the movie. Reading stories, poems, or newspapers. So we provide short stories on our inpatient center so that um, all of our volunteers have access to short stories. So we encourage them to talk about lighthearted, positive current events, which can be sometimes difficult in the current climate of things. Um, but 
I usually encourage, like, sports usually doesn't get people too fired up um, and really let the, the patient kind of direct the conversation if they're able to talk. Sitting quietly, providing a presence, holding a patient's hand, those can all be really meaningful as well. Uh, our staff also tries to figure out, um, kind of determine what kind of music the patient's like, whether it's actually communicating with the patient about that or talking to loved ones. And so encouraging uh, the students to find that radio station or pull out the phone and play, play the uh, music on their phone for the patient is also great. Um, completing legacy projects. That's something that the family can have once the patient has died. So that might be something like writing out cards for upcoming milestones or for holidays that are coming up, you know, helping patients do that because a lot of times they might have difficulty writing. So that's something that um, students could help with. Um, we also had a student that brought in, actually worked with some other students and brought in cards for around the holiday season and they wrote little notes to the patients and that was really nice too because it did one spruce up the room but it also kind of just gave the patient a little bit of home and um, you know feeling supported. Our students were encouraged to participate in any of our We Honor Veterans pinning ceremonies that were happening. So our pinning ceremonies are honoring our veterans with a pin, a certificate, um, usually the music therapist is playing uh, songs specific to the branch of armed forces, and usually there's a reading. Um, so we encourage all of our volunteers to participate in those as fully as they're able to, um, or just to kind of be there as a witness and a, another member to honor that patient. So there's quite a few options for the students uh, who are visiting with patients. And obviously the list is endless. These are just uh, the hot ones. So with anything, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So all of our volunteers are required to complete volunteer progress notes tracking their time and the visit. At every visit, volunteers inquire or check for shortness of breath, nausea, anxiety, and pain. And if the patient's experiencing any of those, they're you know, to alert the staff that's either at the nursing facility or the um, inpatient center. Our notes are in a direct format which is data, action, result, observation, and plan. For anyone that isn't familiar with this format, um, I'll just briefly describe that. So data is about describing the setting and the patient, what it was like uh, when the student got there and who was there. Action is what that you know, student or volunteer did. So introducing themselves, um, maybe just knocking on the door and having a seat after introducing themselves, things like that. The result is what happened next. How did the patient seem to react and change throughout the visit? So maybe they were reluctant at the beginning of the visit, but then really opened up once they kind of got settled and got comfortable with the student. Um, things like that. Maybe they fell asleep by the end of the visit. Whatever happened, just asking them to, you know, briefly document that. And any observations. So this is anything that's changed since the last visit. So that's really helpful for the team to know if there's any kind of decline um, so that they can kind of all be on the same page and have that documented. And then plan is when do you plan to come back? Uh, what do you hope to do next time? So that would be if there was a patient that 
really enjoyed a specific author. Maybe the student would bring a book in from that author um, or bring in, you know, a certain craft if the patient said that they liked that. So that would be where they would put that information. And then all of our volunteers, including the students, send their notes through the mail or leave them at the inpatient center for staff pickup. Obviously, as you can imagine, this is a mutually beneficial collaboration. So for the students, they were able to gain experiencing, experience interacting with hospice patients and their families. You became part of the interdisciplinary team. So on our inpatient centers, there's doctors, nurses, social workers, um, aides. They're all there, uh, you know, kind of most of the time. So the students are really able to interact with them and talk to them and uh, learn more about how all of that works together and learn about hospice from the inside, developing uh, better patient advocacy skills, and improve understanding of physical, emotional, and social pain, and sometimes how that can manifest. And obviously, they're going to school uh, to become pharmacists, so, you know, they're really familiar with pain and kind of medication and things like that, but also how sometimes pain uh, can be relieved by companionship and redirection in addition to any kind of medication that's needed. In seasons, um, received some benefits as well, we increased our volunteer presence at the inpatient centers. We were able to fill a need um, of facility patients who were not being seen by a volunteer, so that ones in Rockville and District Heights area. Some of the students really enjoyed the experience and recruited other students to volunteer with us outside of the class requirements. And the pharmacy students added 230 hours from October 2018 to February 2019 to that, uh, you know, 5% that were required. So just kind of finishing up my part um, is what the students had to say about their experiences. So just going down the list, I've really enjoyed visiting with my newest patient. I'm absolutely heartbroken to hear of her passing. She was such a wonderful person to speak with. This is something I'm passionate about and hope to continue volunteering. I love visiting the unit at Sinai and plan to continue making visits. I sat with her for a bit, talked to her, let her know she wasn't alone, and told her I would visit her again before I left for the day. As promised, I checked on her. I realized she had died. I informed the staff who confirmed her death. I was okay because I knew how I had just spent time with her. So in that particular case, I was alerted by the staff at our inpatient center of the situation just so that I um, could make sure that I could follow up with that student, which I really appreciated. And I did call him and follow up with him and chat with him about that situation. And he was really in a good place about it um, because he had spent time with her. And the staff also really supported him after uh, that occurred as well. Moving on, she was a very special and lovely woman. The time I spent with her was very meaningful and rewarding. I'm grateful I met her. And lastly, it was a profound experience. And I really do think that many of the students really do think that this was a profound experience. We have a couple students that are wanting to continue volunteering with us, even though they've met their requirements, and they just really enjoyed that um, you know, companionship and what they learned from, from the, um, the patients.
So, so thank you. Um, and I will hand it off now to um, Jamie and Alex. Well, before they jump in, thank you, Amanda. Oh, yeah. That was lovely. I was getting all teared up there listening about my little chickens. And I just want to point out to everybody, I know my perspective is schools of pharmacy. We have uh, three in Maryland. We have uh, my school, the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy downtown. There's Notre Dame School of Pharmacy, which is also in Baltimore. And then I guess maybe Coastal Hospice would benefit. There's the University of Maryland Eastern Shore School of Pharmacy. And for those of you closer to D.C., uh, Howard University has a School of Pharmacy also. And don't forget schools of social work and nursing and medicine, Minimally, I think all four of those would be excellent um, opportunities to recruit students. As you just heard, Amanda, it's a lovely little project for them to do, and they really enjoy doing it. All righty. So, Jamie and Alex, are you ready to rock and roll? You might need to unmute. Okay. Rock and roll. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jamie Glidewell. Um, I've been at MedStar Washington Hospital Center for about six months, um, but prior to that, I was at Montgomery Hospice for five years, four years, three years as a volunteer manager, and back two and a half years as a social worker. So I'm very passionate about incorporating volunteers into hospice and palliative care. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'm Alex McPherson, and Jamie and I actually started on the exact same day back in October, um, and I've had the opportunity to see things from the student's perspective, having graduated from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy back in 2015 and just completing residency this past July. So a unique collaboration, also bringing in um, and recruiting students from Georgetown's program, which we'll tell you a little about, a little more about here in a second. Um, and so this all started with an idea. It started before Alex and I got here. Um, Ann Kellerman, she's the social work supervisor for the palliative care team. Um, she really took her inspiration from the hospice programs um, she had interacted with and volunteered at, and just seeing how robust hospice uses their volunteers um, in such robust ways, such creative ways. Um, and she really was inspired to start looking at how can we incorporate using volunteers in the inpatient hospital setting with our palliative care patients. Because sometimes we'll even get referrals and the referring team will say, well, you know, the patient's really just lonely. And so it's not a true clinical consult, but again, that we wish there was something we could do for these patients that you know, we're not necessarily best suited for, time doesn't always allow. So having volunteers to fill in the gaps and care for our patients in those ways, you know, would be a great thing. And our goal was in line with the MedStar focus on, focus and philosophy on patient first, our family serving yours, um, one vision, one spirit. So this, we, we had a good platform. And through networking um, and she was part of uh, the Teaching Scholars Program, and again, she made this the focus of her two years for Teaching Scholars, and through networking, she came across, made a connection with the Georgetown University Medical Center, the Special Master's Program in, in Physiology. So that's a one-year special program, and it's specifically focused for graduates who want to strengthen their credentials and application to U.S. Uh, to medical schools. Um, and there's a, so it's a it's from August to May. It's a pretty intensive, like, pre-med program. They're doing a lot of similar classes than to what you would do in medical school. 
But a part of it, which is really neat, is there's a, a really big volunteer component. So they're doing a variety of rotations in clinical and community settings across the D.C. metro area. And so we got connected with the program, the one of the program managers there, and it seemed like a like a perfect um, blend. And that's our um, that's the Georgetown Special Masters Program class this year. So there's 27 students, um, and we have most of them have come through. We started a little late. Um, this is the first year that we've done this collaboration. Um, so by the end, by the end of May, we're going to have 17 of these students who have come through on their rotations here. So these are just some of the basic requirements. You'll see a lot of similar things from the season's requirements as well. Obviously, the volunteer application and confidentiality agreement, all of their vaccine records, which for the most part were already documented because they are part, you know, they're part of the Georgetown program. They have other volunteer opportunities. But the one thing that was a little bit different is this may have been their first direct patient care volunteer experience. So we did require some additional um, vaccination records above and beyond what they may have been required to have for school. Their education goals, there was some basic pre-training modules online through MedStar. There were two in-person training sessions, which we'll go into a little bit more here in a second. Of course, they were required to have an ID badge. And then each student came for two consecutive volunteer sessions each four hours. So. On the first day, they completed a pre-evaluation, which we'll discuss here in a second, their volunteer hours, and then a, a very short debriefing. And on their second Friday, their second day of volunteering, they just jumped right into seeing patients, followed by the debriefing, they completed a post-evaluation, and then an exercise in narrative medicine. Um, and so we did two trainings. We did the first training at Georgetown, and a group, um, it was the, one of our social workers, chaplain, um, and then actually a member of the massage therapy, um, one of our research programs that we're doing here. So the massage therapist was there as well. And we do, um, that's really educational and time to connect with the students. We do a, a broad overview of palliative care, what it is, the history, and also what we're doing here at the hospital center. Um, our chaplain, Linda, she read a poem, and they did a debrief talking about what that meant to them. Um, they did a grief and bereavement exercise, as well as a guided, uh, guided meditation and other self-care activities. We're really focusing on helping the students get the most. We want to set the platform to help them get the most out of this experience. So it's not just going in and volunteering, but we want them to think about what's going on for them, what's going on when they're visiting a patient, what's going on when they're hearing difficult stories, and so really helping them connect with the patients, but also with themselves. Um, the second training, they come to the hospital, they come here, um, and again, it's more, it's, kind of, it's more of the nuts and bolts of Washington Hospital Center, of the palliative care team. They meet, um, we have, I think, close to 18 team members here um, for the palliative care team, but they meet 
not everyone, but a lot more of the palliative care team, and specifically they meet the team members that they're going to be interacting with who are going to be helping them when they're here for volunteering. Um, and we go, this is where we go in detail over the volunteer visits, what to expect. We cover confidentiality. We cover boundaries. Um, and we've, we're, we're always adding boundaries because as, <laughs> as we go, we figure out um, things we need to add to reminders, like such as the length of the visits, not giving out their phone numbers, not giving advice. Um, so we're definitely learning as we go. Um, we talk about the visit, what to expect, um, always knocking on the door, asking for permission to come in, um, introducing, offering a visit, and we teach them about um, looking for cues from the patient. So a lot of our patients want to be polite. They may not want to say no or tell the volunteer that they're tired. So teaching the volunteers what to look for and how to read the patient um, just so they're not overstepping. Um, we talk a lot about activity ideas. There's a lot of anxiety for the students about what are they going to do? How are they going to start a visit? How are they going to keep the person engaged? So just kind of trying to um, give them a lot of ideas and prepare them as much as possible to address that stress that they have. Um, we also talk about the debrief sessions. Like Alex said, we do a welcome, but we also do a debrief at the end of um, their volunteer session so they can talk about the visit, talk about how, it, how everything went, ask questions, and get ready for the following week. Um, we talk a lot about standard precautions, um, what to look for in the hospital, how, what they'll need to do if there are any standard precautions for a particular patient that they're visiting, and then of course we go over the fire emergency response. So the visit themselves, we print out, so throughout the week prior to the actual volunteer visit, we remind our team, as Jamie mentioned, we have about 18 team members and four sub-teams. We have an oncology team, a med surge team, ICU, and an advanced heart failure sub-team. So, you know, on any given day, our average census could be around 100 patients. So we're reminding each of the sub-teams to continue adding patients to the volunteer list as they see appropriate. <clears throat> and then on Friday, we print out our volunteer list for our two volunteers and basically just split it in half, encourage them to get to however many patients they can get to, depending on how each visit goes, but at least then they have a pool of patients that they're, you know, available to see. So some examples of activities that some of our students have done with patients, you know, we've had one student that, you know, sings professionally and the patient sang in her gospel choir for years and years, so she actually sang with a volunteer, um, reading to some of our nonverbal patients, adult coloring books, writing holiday cards, reading poetry, and participating in life review. And usually, so after the first, when the volunteers come the first time, we have a volunteer closet, so there's things, we have different activities, they can grab books, magazines, cards, um, holiday cards, um, and the adult coloring pages, and usually the first time around we've seen that volunteers are pretty nervous and they want to they wanna make sure they're carrying something in, um, that they're coming equipped. And by the second time, they're really like, oh, no, I don't need anything, because usually what the patients appreciate and respond to most 
is their presence, their smile, someone to ask questions, be curious, and listen to them. So that, it's kind of neat, even, even though they're just here for, for two Fridays, but you can see the evolution, and, and we see that in um, the feedback we're getting as well. But just that they're realizing, that realization that the best thing they can do is bring themselves an, a smile and an open heart and a listening ear. Um, so, because this was our first year and we we just threw things together, but we wanted to make sure that we were capturing some data. This isn't, it's not regulated like it is in hospice, so we're, um, we don't have to document the hours, but we wanted for ourselves to capture information and data so we can make sure that we're growing the program and also looking for research opportunities. Um, and we wanted to gauge what kind of impact this was having for the students. Um, so we set up a pre-evaluation, and this is exactly the questions. This is what the students get um, the first time they come. We do the welcome, and then they do these quick questions. Um, and then we have them rate their comfort level. So how comfortable are you interacting, volunteering with patients in the hospital setting? Um, and just um, different questions you can see, like what are you worried about? What are you most looking forward to? How comfortable? And then have them rate. And then on the post-eval, um, it's that we incorporate that self-reflection piece. What did you learn about yourself? Anything that surprised you? Anything you weren't expecting? And I always love this question, what advice would you give to future volunteers? Um, and then again, we rate that, how comfortable are you interacting, volunteering with patients in the hospital setting? Um, and usually, the trends that we've seen, people are, at least they're rating themselves, the students as pretty comfortable, it's usually a seven or eight, and then they usually go up a point or two after on the post-eval. <clears throat> so in terms of that question, is there anything you're worried about? This is really just a snapshot of some of the things that our students have said. So, you know, reacting to the patient's negative emotions, being able to empathize since I've never had anyone I know under palliative care, um, not knowing what to say initially or about making a patient uncomfortable if they don't feel like speaking, feeling awkward when I don't know what to say in certain situations, bringing up sensitive uh, topics, and then, you know, disrupting their peace if they're upset. This is from another one that just occurred. Um, finding a good conversation topic, not boring them. So you can see it's mostly about the unknown. So not knowing what to expect or what to talk about with some of our, our patients that are a little sicker. And then on the post eval, is there anything that surprised you? Um, and I, it's always great to see, to get their perspective. I was a little taken aback by how cheerful some of the patients were, which wasn't the kind of attitude I would expect from patients who need palliative care. I think that's a great takeaway, just to <laughs> yeah. dispel some of the preconceptions that patient people, students, that anyone might have when they're visiting somebody who's seriously ill, chronically ill, or acutely ill. Along with this next one, too. Yeah. I was surprised when some patients talked very openly and candidly about dying. Um, and again, this is just for future, for students who are thinking about applying to medical school, we've been so thrilled with just having them in this, in the hospital setting with patients and families and to see some of these takeaways. Um, that are planting seeds, hopefully, that will carry over into them, their future profession. Um, so 
uh, I remember this student, he was really perplexed about um, reading to somebody who wasn't communicative, who couldn't consent. Um, so this was his takeaway, figuring out how to communicate with someone on a ventilator. Wasn't able to talk with something I had to get used to, but eventually I learned ways that I could communicate with them. Um, when they found out I wanted to be a physician, they were all very encouraging and provided advice from that point of view, from their point of view. And that's really what we wanted students to slow down. And again, listening to the patient perspective, what it's like to be in a hospital. This is a 900-bed hospital in the middle of D.C. Um, this was very likely a very new experience for me, and unique experience for many of these students. And um, it was just unique stories that they got a chance to hear. And this was our, our singing volunteer, how talented some of my patients were when they sang with me. Um, so she had a few of the patients who sang along. And I was surprised by how much I got out of this program. I wish we got to do it longer. We heard that a lot. They wished the rotation. We just did, uh, this time around, we did um, the two rotations. We might do a longer rotation in the future. Um, And so what advice would you give to other volunteers? So, you know, a lot of them had very similar things to say about being open to the experience, letting it happen. It's okay to be nervous. Embrace not knowing what to expect. You're not as awkward as you think. If you have talent, use it. Mostly, though, I advise you to listen to what they say and don't say. Um, it's okay if patients seem like they do not want to talk but would still like your company because your simple company can comfort them too. And I think that's really important and gets to what Jamie was saying earlier about, you know, that first visit, they pretty much bring Mary Poppins' bag with them and with the cards and the games and the books and all of that. And then they realize that they don't have to fill every single gap in conversation and a lot of what they can bring to the table is really just their presence and then, you know, I think the most important thing is to meet them where they are, which uh, you all know working in hospice and palliative care is is our whole philosophy, um, being present and being okay with silence. Um, so part of our final debrief, we also do um, a little narrative medicine exercise. So we debrief with them, talk about their visits, um, we do the post-eval, and then we um, tell them, and, and we don't give much um, direction. We hand them a piece of paper, and we say, next, we're going to do a short writing exercise. You will have five minutes to write about a prompt. Just write what comes to mind, and as much as possible, write without thinking. We, we tell them to let the pen lead you. Don't stop um, and think, just write. And the prompt that we've given all the students is to write about a door. And I wish um, we could, I, I wish we were on video because we would show you there's been so many different responses. Yeah. Some people are writing, drawing, some people are drawing pictures, there's poems, um, some people turn the page around. I mean, it's just really been neat to see what the students do with this kind of exercise. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting one. So what is a door? A physical structure we walk through or the metaphorical door each of us has gone through to get to that next chapter in life. For me, my metaphorical door is closed. I've been pounding on it and ringing the doorbell like crazy and you would have thought someone would answer. 
but I guess I just have to keep standing there waiting and trying, unless there is another way in. Do we walk away from a dream, our next chapter, just because there are obstacles, or the way is shut for now? Do we continue to work towards breaking down the door when it is closed? This morning, I felt the door once again slam in my face. But this afternoon, through a window, I saw what lay beyond the door, and it reminded me of why I'm trying to enter that space. And this was one of the poems. The door opens into a hospital room. It's closed, but if you give the door a smile, it disappears. It makes no sound and disappears. That power you have to smile. Why don't you use it? Maybe you like the door closed because it's too hard to escape from a room with no door if you're uncomfortable, if you want to leave, if you want to hide inside yourself and ponder why you opened it in the first place. The dying can't open it themselves, locked into their beds with restraints, looking out their hospital windows, dreaming of playing blackjack in the new casino, the one that was built when they were shut in. If you could open it with a smile, would they let you in? So again, it's, we're trying to find creative ways to have volunteers volunteer with us, but also find creative ways to engage them in this process. So the first year in review, um, so again, this starts from, their program starts in August and ends in May, so we'll be um, ending in the next month. Um, by the end of it, we'll have 17 students. Um, they've come on 18 Fridays, and they're here for three and a half to four hours, so it'll be 63 hours. Um, generally, we're keeping better track now of, now at the end of each visit, they're tracking how many patients they saw, what activities they did, and their average length of time spent with each. Um, but we're, we have about an average, probably of four or five to eight visits per Friday. Per um, student, right? Per student. So my math is terrible. I, <laughs> this was for one. It's actually going to be double. It'll be closer to 150 visits by the end, um, which is very exciting. And then we're already on track, so we're definitely doing this again next year. Um, the Georgetown program, Holly, the coordinator, she, she has loved it. And what's been exciting as well, the students do further reflection on Blackboard. They have prompts. They have to do answer questions and do reflections on their different volunteer experiences, and she's been getting really good feedback. So that's a couple weeks out. Um, so she's definitely motivated and wanting to do this rotation again. And then just some of the lessons learned. So obviously we have a lot of patients on, on our service as a whole that we had a very good feeling would benefit from visits from volunteers, but we didn't necessarily go into this thinking about the impact it would have on the students. Um, and as you can see from hearing some of the responses to the narrative prompts, it really did make a huge impact on these students. Um, and hoping to, you know, they wish the <clears throat> volunteer experience was longer and they wish they could continue volunteering. And it seems like the students from the University of Maryland were saying the same thing with seasons volunteering. So clearly having a big impact on them. Other areas of opportunity, you know, we're continuing to think about ways to engage these volunteers. And maybe not with the Georgetown volunteers necessarily, but other areas of opportunity with regard to volunteering. 
So we have a ton of patients who say, you know, I wish I could just get a, a good clean shave or a haircut. Um, you know, my nails are always so nicely done. I hate them looking this way. Um, so finding ways to engage um, some volunteers for cosmetic services, knitting blankets, pet therapy is a work in progress, and then music and art therapy. So continuing to find ways both from a student and non-student standpoint to continue to engage volunteers in our community in order to better serve our patients. And we're also, um, this summer we're going to have five med students uh, with us for, um, I think it's six, eight, six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. Um, and what, after this experience with the Georgetown students, we're going to make sure that patient visits are a big component of their time here. Primarily they're going to be doing research, um, and different activities, but we're going to now include the patient visits and do a lot of what we were doing with the Georgetown students. And then I think also things on our mind for next year and as we continue to find different ways to incorporate volunteers, um, looking at how we can capture the patient perspective in a non-intrusive way. So getting some of their narratives from what this um, experience, what the volunteer experience means to them, um, and just how we can better serve them, how we can better impact their time in the hospital, um, so we can make sure that we're always cultivating the way we use volunteers to best meet their needs. There you go. <laughs> wow, so now Alex and Jamie have made me cry too with the narrative <laughs> medicine, so thank you for being that equal opportunity. That's an easy there. thing to do. <laughs> it is easy to make me cry, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious uh, what questions our listeners have for Amanda and Alex and Jamie. You can type it into the chat box or you can unmute your line by hitting star six. I'm curious what other people are doing that is innovative as these two programs that we've heard here uh, with regard to volunteerism. And as you're thinking about that, I see compassionate uh, Compass Regional is typing. I'm reminded of one of my colleagues from a different school of pharmacy in the Midwest he developed an online training program for his pharmacy students. It was just one hour long, and those volunteers were in a, a database where any hospice in the area could log in and request a student volunteer to do things like put up the Christmas decorations for an elderly couple who was, were too ill to do it themselves and then to take them back down and pack them away or to hand out the punch and cookies at the remembrance ceremony once a year. So not direct patient care per se, but doing so many things like having a car wash, a fundraiser for a particular hospice. So Holy Cross Hospice is asking, is anyone trying to gather effects on patients? Anybody want to jump in on that one? This is uh, Jamie um, from MedStar, um, and that's definitely, a, it's a great question, and it's definitely on our minds. Um, so we're looking <clears throat> at ways that we can, again, I think it's important, and what we're talking about, we don't want to be intrusive to um, the, the patients, um, but we want to find a way to gather some of that data, so to get the narratives, but also to see if it's having an impact on their pain or their anxiety or depression. Um, or their patient experience overall. Overall, yes. Mm -hmm. I would also suggest, Jamie and Alex, that for those narrative medicine pieces that you require, you should look at some of those and submit them to the Journal of Palliative Medicine. They publish a lot of narrative medicine type uh, it, pieces that have been written. So you should okay. take a look at that. We've compiled them into like a laminated book, so we are keeping them all in one place. and. You know, we were only able to share those two, but a lot of them are really, really 
pretty profound. Wow. And for students who are hoping to go to medical school and they want something that would look good on their CV, having a publication would be an awesome thing. What else does anyone else have? Does anyone else have, per Holy Cross's question, any attempt to see if the patients enjoy having volunteers or thoughts or anything? Questions, comments, anything for the good of the cause? This is Amanda. So the only thing that I can say for the effects um, on patients is we we haven't done any kind of research, anything like that, for uh, this season's site, but... You know, just hearing actually them talk about the volunteers, I know frequently when I visit our inpatient centers in particular that the staff there is saying, you know, thanks so much for having these volunteers or this particular student was really amazing and really made a connection, you know, with this particular patient. Um, So getting those kind of things, and sometimes when I visit with patients, they say, well, is this one coming back? Is she going to be here again? Um, So, you know, just hearing that, uh, not actually in in kind of a research form, but in more of an everyday type of Mm -hmm. format. I think I'm always impressed, at least with the pharmacy students. They all start off thinking, oh, this will be so cool for my my applying for my job or my residency. But then you work your magic on them, Amanda, and they they fall in love with it. And they're so Mm -hmm. glad that they did it. And I'm sure that's true with the MedStar crew as well. I'd like to thank our guests, Amanda Fields, Alexander McPherson, and Jamie Glidewell. And thank you, our listeners, for listening to Palliative Care Chat. Again, this is Dr. Mary Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2019, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate program in palliative care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.com dot edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.